Hello and welcome to the new episode of By All Means Necessary. You and I are back in the studio slash gym slash living room, office, you know, whatever you want to call it, because the sound should be better now. <laughs> because when I'm lazy and I record it from my bedroom, the laptop overheats and the microphone is too close to it and uh, then you can hear it. I think that's what that sound was. I don't know. I am not a professional, clearly. So now, you know, you can hear everything that happens on the street. Loads of police cars and ambulance. Amazing news. Guess what? It's the last day of March, which I didn't happen to know until uh, last week. <laughs> I properly recorded the episode for the first Monday of April. It's great. It's amazing. It's like an hour long already. <laughs> you know, done my research, been like, yep, just like, I just need to edit it and then publish it. And then I realized March has five Mondays this year. Nobody told me that. That should sort of go in my job description, you know, like, hey, check how many Mondays, the days that you release the podcast there are in a month, before you even publish a tweet telling people what the month is gonna be all about. So you're going into the unknown territory today with me. I'm gonna tell you a story about a 15-year-old girl who was in her room watching TV. She was watching just a normal movie and then she heard that her parents went to sleep. So she switched on to one of her favorite channels, which was Investigation Discovery. Now, on this particular evening, Investigation Discovery was covering a story about a truck driver. One of the investigators commented that this particular truck driver was suspected of raping and murdering more than 50 women over a 15-year period in the 70s and the 80s, as he just rode this truck down the highways trolling for women. This was then followed by a story told by one of the survivors about how she survived being held for over a week in the back of the truck while this truck driver meticulously took care of his tools, he tortured and raped her. She spoke about her humiliation, her mental and physical torture. The documentary ended commenting on this truck driver being arrested in 1990 when his luck just ran out. It also covered parts of the trial where he would eventually admit to raping, torturing and killing Regina K. Walters, Douglas Zajkowski and Patricia Walsh, and making sure to inform the public where he is still serving his sentence. This 15-year-old girl now proceeded to go to sleep. She was haunted by the reconstruction of events, by how vivid the images of the victim and the perpetrator were. But what bugged her the most was that nobody should have the right to mess with the naivete, the normal life situations, and consent the way that this criminal did. 17 years later, that girl is behind the microphone right now, ready to tell you the story about a true crime case that marked her for life. This is a story about Robert Ben Rhodes. to the discovery. So let me just set the scene for you all. So this was the era of serial killers, right when Rhodes operated. So it was late 70s, 80s, and then he was caught in 1990. He's caught on April the 1st. Did you hear that? That little motorbike. Great, great. <laughs> Love the noises that come on the studio. Love it. It's clearly sheltered, clearly soundproof. I'm clearly a professional. So it was Euro serial killers. It was the time of Colleen Stan's kidnapping, the girl in the box that I covered earlier. Highway killers, a lot of, a lot of truckers, just basically getting away with committing shit out of crime. 
So he just parked up his truck on the side of the road, but it was kind of like a remote area, there was no reason for a huge ass truck to be parked up there. So this uh, police officer stopped and was just, yeah, randomly doing like a random check, being like, hey, is everything okay? And no, you just imagine you're like a normal police officer, <laughs> it's like they whatever on your job. And what you encounter is probably the case of your career, because there is a girl screaming in the back of a truck, her name is Lisa Pennell. She is like, just, she's chained, she can't escape, she's screaming, and you know, there's Ben Rhodes just randomly getting out of the truck, like, yeah, nothing, she's the crazy one here. So the police officer luckily did the right thing, he like, cuffed him, he covered the girl, tried to calm her down, called for backup, Ben Rhodes gets arrested. What will put him away for life, though, is the evidence that they are going to eventually find, and is the rape and murder of Regina Walters. Fuck's sake is the rape and murder of Regina Walters, a 14-year-old girl from Pasadena, Texas. So, evidence is everywhere, even this crime scene. He has a briefcase, like, where he has aligned his, what's it called, his sex toys. We spoke about Toy Box Killer. We had a full month of people with, like, different toys and how much care they take about tools versus human life. I don't have to tell you that the motives in this are not, like, up for much discussion. This guy was a sexual sadist, and he was one of the worst kinds. I put in the script the dimension I hate dentists, because I'm that person that the few times that I have been to see a dentist, I'm a paranoid person that needs to look where each and every tool is going into my mouth, like, what is he lifting, where is it going, is it an anesthetic, is it gonna make me peril, is it gonna make me go to sleep? It's just like, no, I'm not leaving anything unexplained. Tell me, why is this going into my mouth? What is it going to do? How much is it going to hurt? And hey, I'm not saying the freaking sadists and people who take care of their sexual toys are the same as dentists, okay? Dentists out there, don't fucking raid this podcast, <laughs> okay? But why do you take so much care of the tools instead of taking care of developing your social skills? Have you ever... I Please... If anybody in London knows of a dentist that is actually a friendly human being, please just immediately email me. I will go to them. I don't care which part of London it is. I am yet to meet a normal dentist with any social skills. But they're tools. Oh boy. As soon as that thing leaves my mouth, like I'm just there with my mouth open. They're like cleaning them, polishing them. Their tools are going to the right place. And I'm here like, hello? <laughs> you get paid by the hour, bitch. What the fuck? It's not just the crime scene, it's how Ben Rhodes behaved. He just blamed it on the woman. It's like, oh, she was just, you know, like, why was she letting herself be picked up? Like, he said, you just don't get involved with women at the truck stops. Like, as if, like, oh, I was such a great guy, but, like, oh, you see what it, what happens when you're involved with women at the truck stop. Okay, after the sentence, he says, unless you want your dick to fall off. Sorry, what? This is like me at work when I would constantly <laughs> blame it on others, you know, like, oh no, sorry, I'm overwhelmed because nobody else is like doing much, nobody else is pulling weight. Or it's like, no, sorry, I didn't know how to answer that, yeah, nobody explained this to me until one day, like, one of the <laughs> very many managers, but yeah, one of them just actually put it, like, voiced it to me. Like, what I kind of knew already, but was just ignoring it, you know, just shoving it into the corner, like, no, 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 I don't do the blame game, no, 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 that, that's definitely not me, I don't just Hermione Granger every situation in my life. And then one day, just like one-to-one, she was like, Maya, you just blame it on others. Just stop that. Cut that shit out. Nobody told this guy to cut that shit out. And this is how uh, far away from reality he was, just on a sexual sadism level, not like customer service job level. 
So another thing that everybody says about when they actually found Robert Ben Rose is how much of a sweet talker he was, which will come up later when we speak about his background, but he's just beyond. The officer actually said, like, if there was no screaming woman in the freaking truck, if it was just him, you know, on the road and just maybe justifying why he was parked up there, yeah, he would have gotten away with it. He has an explanation for everything, just like me, <laughs> on a smaller scale, okay, okay, okay. So luckily here, the police actually did a great job because they realized the gravity of the scene. So the departments actually communicated here. So detectives connect him to Houston and Houston FBI agent gets the case. His name is Bob Lee. Coolest fucking name. Three letters, first name, three letters, last name. You know how much I love the short names? Guys, name is Maya. Love it. (laughs) What was the point of that? So now, because it's actually FBI behavioral unit, right, they know what they're doing, this bubbly, cool name dude, says that they're looking for journals because he just knows that this kind of predator doesn't resist reliving his crime. So he just noted it down somewhere, he's the person that keeps trophies, and obviously, like, Ben Rhodes is, wasn't the dumbest guy ever because he knew how much he kept. So he told his wife to take the stuff out of the house. But... But, but, probably, he's like, he's on the speed level, he's on this need for speed, yeah? He gets a behavioral scientist to explain to the judge why they need a search warrant, and it was granted immediately. You don't just fight bubbly, okay? So, they do the knock-knock on the door, they get the wife out, and they're like, yep, we are raiding this shit. What they find in his house, okay, the part that I hate the most, just because, again, I visualize a lot of shit, is that they find a lot of white towels, and then they realize that some of these towels are still soaked in blood, so it's victim's blood, because the victim testimonies later confirm that he would place a white towel under them, and this would mean sexual torture. Just again, just the rituals, it's always... Ugh, I hate the person with the rituals. But so it's dumb, because you just make it easier for people like to connect crimes to you. They always love the rituals. And yes, I know it's the worst for the victims, but then when the police actually gets the case, they're like, okay, this happened once, yeah, this is how many white towels do you see? Yep, this is how often this guy would do it. What the actual fuck? Why is everybody on a motorbike today? <laughs> So, of course, they find journals, but most importantly, they find pictures, because pictures what speak out how many words? Oh, God. And they find pictures of Regina Key Walters. Now, if you were into true crime, you probably have seen this, because it's kind of on the list of, like, I don't know, top 10 or however many victim pictures out there. It's not because it's brutal or gruesome. It's just the fear is so visible. And also what he did with with her was just so omnipresent. Like, he would cut her hair. She just looked petrified of him. It was in an abandoned place and her hands like are in front of her trying to shield herself from him just the fear is there she's dressed up in something that he put her in clearly not her clothes and she's just there petrified because she's thinking what the hell is gonna happen to me so yeah those pictures were pretty much you know a case closed kind of thing but it would still be another year until they actually find her body in a barn loft where some of those pictures have been taken. So the next line, I just love how like it went from one to the next level. The journal's briefcase and the truck were plenty of evidence. What happens with trucks in these cases? This is this is where my mind goes. I'm like wow, this was like really tough to think about when I googled these pictures. And I'm like, but what happened with the truck? No, but seriously, after you, like, swab it for DNA, you know, you do your thing, you take all the evidence, where do you go with the truck? Is somebody driving the truck today? That is what I'm asking, okay? 
fucking tell me. Okay, about his trial stuff. So, you know, stuff that I don't care much about, but uh, I'd like to know if they're still in prison or if they can come for me. Um, <laughs> Maya, literally, not even on the charts for them to come to you, but hey. So, only in 1992, he pleads guilty to killing Regina Walters and gets a life sentence instead of a death penalty. So, they kind of, like, made a deal with him being like, you, we have all these pictures, just plead guilty to this, this, and this. And then, in 2012, he has another plea agreement where he waives any rights to parole. I love this. I just love it. It's like, no, no, no. We want details. You really like to talk, so we're gonna milk all of the details. And what you get is, uh, you just get to stay in prison. You don't get the right to parole ever. You can't. You sign this. You sign this. Okay. If he admits to further killings and gives families some closure. Now, don't for a second think that this is because you know Ben is suddenly has seen Jesus and is suddenly a tr- truly helpful guy who wants to give closure to the families. Of course not. He just wants some fucking notoriety. Eh? He just wants his name connected to all these killings. Because again, it's that era where multiple serial killers were all just on the loose, going claiming each other's murders. So he's like, no, 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 these are mine. This is mine. This is my accomplishment, okay? Robert Ben Rhodes is now 72. He's serving life without the possibility of parole, as I fucking said, okay? In Menard Correctional Center in Southern Illinois. A lot of you will maybe love the next fact, which is that this is the same prison that John Wayne Gacy attended before his lethal injection. Did I just put attended a prison? Round of applause, round of applause. Attended, like, it was voluntary. John Wayne Gacy was found with a fucking... How many kids under the board attended a prison? No, this is... This is a beautiful story, okay? This is such a powerful story, such powerful ending. Have they ever met in prison? Does anybody know? That would be a sick story. I should probably just Google when did, like, John Wayne Gacy die, etc., you know? But no. Okay, Gacy died in 1994. This guy was arrested when? And Ben Rhodes was arrested in 1992, so that gives it two years. They might have met. Imagine their conversations. Oh my god, I need to move on with this story. Jesus. Okay, let's go um, on to his crimes, yeah? Why? Why don't we? So in terms of his crimes, we know a lot, either because of the survivors' accounts of events, or because, you know, you can illustrate everything when you find so much freaking evidence when you have a briefcase and then what he also told the survivors so plus you can also see the truck was full of stuff like fish hooks horse bridle yep you can just visualize that as well and his briefcase tools what he used to tell the victims is that his name is whips and chains now this would be funny if he was like a comedian just making like a joke you know like "Ah, when i was a dj i used to be called whips and chains this is his bdsm name because this guy as we'll find out was actually quite prominent in like the bdsm scene of the time if you google him there's an image of him that you cannot get out of your head with him in like a lot of latex going on just happy as a little chubby fat kid to be there whatever party whatever freaking bdsm event that was he was thrilled to be there but he would also tell every single victim that testified against him that he has been doing this for 15 years which by all accounts you can believe that he has but it's more of an intimidation technique now we also know a lot of what he did because of the infamous pictures of regina k walters so he picked up regina and her boyfriend ricky who were like lovebirds all happy to be together you know just hitchhike to some location right 
He minded his own business. Benjamin kills Ricky shortly after he picked them up, but with Regina, he keeps her for over two weeks. During that time, he shortened her hair, which was one of his MOs. He had this big thing against hair. Not just her hair, but her pubes as well, so her pubic hair as well. It's a stretch to say that I understand that part. I can't say I fully comprehend why I do it. It's just, again, it's easier for him to torture her, it's easier for him to, you know, put her in a horse bridle or to hang her from fish hook when there's less hair than there was on her. But it's also to do with humiliation and just separating that human from their own identity. Once he was done with Regina, he strangled her. The police managed to actually get the evidence, and among the items they found a notebook that belonged to her. But it's not just any souvenir, because you're like, oh, why didn't he keep like something more pervy of her? Why didn't he keep her hair, man? He got so much of it. No, 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 this, this, this guy. He's like, this notebook had the phone numbers of her family. So what he does is he would haunt her father, basically. He would call the father on the phone number, and then he would haunt the mother, the grandmother, and the friends. But, like, he especially loved haunting the dead. And he would tell the dead the details of what he has done to her. And then, like, calls the mom, because he knows that's a more vulnerable point. Asks the mom to meet him up, but then he doesn't show up. So he's just taking a fucking piss. That's why, in that case, police really wanted to do it in. Like, they really wanted that confession, and that's sort of why they wanted to give that closure to that family in particular. As mentioned, we know the most details about him from the women that actually got away. Now, let me just make this clear. There's no doubt in my mind that he didn't just let them go out of the kindness of his heart, yeah? He just, either he wasn't in the mood because, you know, he has just finished with another girl. There was, at the time, if he was actually doing it for 15 years, at the time, the mouth would add up that he was actually kidnapping at least two or three girls a month. So, of course, he either couldn't get it up on that day, or he thought he might have been at risk in that area. Now, there is this article on GQ out of all places, by this woman, I genuinely think she has a book as well, because her style of writing is just amazing. It's one of those long-form articles that you read and you're just left like, damn. So, her name is Vanessa Veselka. She is one of his survivors as well. But she kind of goes more into the actual, like, psychology of the survivors and, like, have I actually, has he been that guy? It has been this many years. Should I even mention it to the police? So, she just goes into the full process of all of that. Basically, she just retells the story of, like, how normal it was to get into a truck and hitchhike at the time. So, she said she got into another truck for a ride earlier, like, before Rhodes picked her up. This truck driver stopped at the gas station where there was like some police commotion because they found a dead girl at that gas station. So they found like so they found like some remains of her. She sort of describes the whole situation as like the driver, like this truck driver was completely normal. As in usually they would be pervy or they would at least like be brisk and just it would just be a ride where you sit down and you're like, yeah, this is great. Let me just get out of here. This is literally just a ride. I'm not even trying to be comfortable because he's not making it happen. So her fears were kind of lifted, so she continued hitchhiking on another day. What she says about Ben Rhodes is that he completely, like, seemed normal, because apparently that's why she got into the truck with him, so she wouldn't just get in the truck with everybody. But then, as soon as they were, like, on the road, so, like, as soon as, sort of, they go to the main, like, motorway, he immediately changes, because he knows this is where he has the power, right? So he stopped responding to her questions, 
his muscles relax. And then he starts talking about that girl that they found in the dumpster, the gas station. He's just like completely like, hey, yeah, so this was my day. So, you know, there's the, that girl that they found in the gas station. You're like, okay, I guess that has made the news. Yes, maybe that's how he knows about it. But then he asks her like, oh, uh, by the way, do you know about Laughing Deaf Society? We laugh at death. Now I cannot tell you what the fuck I would do in that situation. In that situation, I would pretty much know that I'm in danger and be like, oh, my days, red flags, leave DNA, touch underneath the seat, uh, don't let him see that. And I mean, what this girl does is pretty much probably the best what she could have done. So he just parks up the truck in the remote area and pulls out a knife on her. And this girl just started repeating certain sentences that, that actually might have probably saved her life. So she was saying she knows he doesn't want to do it, that it's his choice, so she just keeps repeating like, yep, it's your choice. Um, like she said, she won't go to the cops if nothing happened to her, but like again, it's your choice what happens. And after all that, he just says one word, which was run. So she just doesn't look back. She runs for, like, she runs into the woods. She runs for her life. She just, like, waits until the truck leaves and then goes, hitchhikes another ride, which again, after that, everything else is better. She never went to the police. And again, when she speaks to Bob Lee and other detectives, she says, like, yeah, it could have been him, judging by the pictures. But she couldn't pick up on anything, like, as in, you know, she didn't see the back of the truck. Like, her memory obviously couldn't remember, like, all of the catchphrases or anything that in particular he would say or do, any mimics. So it just doesn't get reported. But it's such a beautiful article, just go read it. Then there was another woman called Shona Holtz. So another one of the survivors, she said that, like, another thing that he used to do for humiliation reasons is like after the torture or anything when they would say that they need a toilet he would let them out on the street to pee on a dog leash it's again just the exertion of dominance and humiliation but again just like with toy box killer this guy is is becoming like reckless in a way that he thinks he has all this control right so how this woman escaped is because he had her long enough that he felt comfortable to leave her unshackled and again she escapes goes to the police but doesn't press charges because she's just like who is gonna believe me how are they gonna track him down his description might match how many other truck drivers you know, she didn't have any, like, of his DNA on him. So just before DNA, people just getting away with weird shit, man. You literally had to be the police officer who catches a guy in a truck with a woman for them to be arrested. Otherwise, he would have run, like, how many more years? Probably with a little pill, because he was getting old and... Uh... <laughs> He was letting a lot of people slide, so he was mentally not the brightest as well. Yeah, let me put some shade on him because he's in prison. <laughs> Again, it's great that this story has this many survivors, but just, you know, a note to serial killers, I guess. What the fuck? <laughs> you could have learned just from the news articles from so many other people. <sighs> Here we go again. Again, saying that it's great that these people have survived, but just speaks to the rationale of this guy or just the compulsions to have to just rape and torture some of these women and then let them go in the end and you're just like why what is the compulsion can you not just make like you're in the bdsm that's the that's the thing that boggles me with this case okay there's always something that like stands out for me like you're already in that scene you're already like swinging and doing weird shit okay? so you're just exploiting all of these fetishes somewhere anyways so like why do it on the side as your fucking job what is life 
Pamela Milliken only learned about his crimes when she saw a picture of herself that was posted by the law enforcement agencies. So it was sort of like it was on the same roll of film that Regina K. Walters was shot. So she told Investigation Discovery that she was hitchhiking to find her brother in Winnipeg when she ended up in his truck and he just randomly would just like snap a picture of her. There's like rent like there's a lot of pictures online that were just like, yep, there's a flash as well, so you can't even see their faces properly. And she asked him like why the hell did you just snap a picture of me? He said it's to find a way <laughs> this guy, this guy. It was his way to log passengers in case he was robbed or something happened to him. So how does that make sense? Like, so you were taking a picture of me in case something happened to you. Interesting. So she's still in the truck, right? And at one point, he pointed to a sign on his dashboard that said cash, grass, or ass. Just, no, just too many red flags here. Oh, okay, so he said cash, grass, or ass, no one rides for free. So she didn't have any money, she didn't smoke pot, so she knew which one it would be. Just half said. So she says they had what she described as a consensual sexual encounter. Sorry, not consensual. He he had to point somewhere. You didn't want to sleep with him in the first place. Just report everything, okay? And then he just dropped her off at the bus depot in Winnipeg. And she just continues to like say hi to her brother, you know, yep, totally normal ride. Stop it, truck drivers, suspect everybody. Also, to go back to that story, when 15-year-old me watched Investigation Discovery, like after that, on every run, every time I'm outside, I just avoid trucks, by the way. (laughs) Not even trucks, but like even small cars that have that like extension in the back. No. I have watched way too much shit to know that somebody can just jump out of there and doesn't matter how like hard you scream, they can cover your mouth, you're gone in a matter of seconds, okay? Run on the other side of the road when you see a truck. To wrap up this section of crime, I think it's important to know that even Lisa Pennell, so the girl that he was actually found with when the police arrested him, didn't file the charges. So she, even she said it would just be my word against his, which was clearly just followed by her thoughts, which was, who are you going to believe? And again speaks to his preference and his choice, who is most of his victims are really young. We're speaking teenage young and at best in their 20s. So this is why he would choose young girls, apart from obviously the sexual preference. But it is because it is, in the end, a guy who is experienced with this kind of situations, who can smooth talk his way out of it, versus a teenage girl. And then who is the police going to believe? Now let's discuss his childhood and his marriage life. Now, did you guys know that this is going to have a sexual sadism corner? So, did you know that out of nearly 100% of sexual sadists studied so far, mm-hmm, that's how many? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> only 30 have been Caucasian males. Like, what, what the fuck is with the rest 70? One case involved an African-American adopted at birth by a white couple. Uh, how is this so many? Interesting. <laughs> me. Why that could be basically? Most had occupations that involved contact with the public, See? See? Bad roads? Excessive driving or driving with no clear goal or driving long distances characterized 40% of the men. You see? He, you're not the exception. You're not special, Robert Bad Rhodes. 83% collected items related to sexual or violent themes or both. Trophies. The most common collectible is pornography, followed by guns, bondage, paraphernalia... <laughs> Do you pronounce that word? <laughs> Fuck it. And detective magazines. Why? Nearly 75% murdered a victim, not our boy. 
Close to half were married at the time of their known offenses. You see, you see, I knew there's gonna come up a stat about like, why do they marry and how do they marry? Okay, usually to a compliant partner who is the victim of many of the sadist tortures, which he later plays out of the extreme with strangers. So again, we're seeing something like from when I covered the toy box killer as well. Kind of like starts practicing on his wife and his wife is like, uh-uh, no, no, that's not happening. Or Cameron Hooker with like the girl in the box. We covered a lot of these. This this episode is not even about motive, okay? It's just about why the fuck did you do it? What motivated you in your life? So yeah, by definition it is about motive. Who am I on about? <laughs> on to his childhood. His childhood is just a bit of a, a, a triggers, yeah? A couple of triggers, one after the other, and then just, yeah, accumulation of triggers, you could say. So he was born in Iowa in 1945, but it's uncertain as to exactly where he was raised. Why Wikipedia? Why do we know the information? <laughs> he was raised by his mom because his dad served in the United States Army and then was stationed in West Germany. So his dad returns from overseas and he's discharged from the military. Slight trigger, you know, some, some instability in the family, right? His dad finds work as a firefighter. Again, next line is what always gets me because why do we know this but we don't know like some more important facts on the case? He was an active participant in the extracurricular activities of his attended schools and involved himself with various sports and other programs, including Redirond football, wrestling, choir and French club. Just imagine this fucking piece of shit in a French club. And did you say that in prison? Are you? Is this your, is this your talk in prison? Bet it isn't, because they would consider you a fucking pussy man. So, choir and French club apparently don't happen, the criminal involvement, because even from high school he has had an arrest at the age of 16 because he was tampering with a vehicle, along with some arrest for public fighting that was at his age of 17, so he's kind of like ramping it up slowly. So he graduates from high school and joins the Marine Corps, of course, okay, like as every person. How many people have you seen that try to join the Marine or try to become a cop, yeah? So during that same year though, his father is actually arrested for molesting a 12-year-old girl and he commits suicide because he doesn't want to go to the trial. That's his dad. It's not Ben Rhodes, okay, who commits suicide? Because then, yeah, this would have been a completely different story. <laughs> Do we sense another trigger? Do we have it? Yeah. So a few years after that, Rhodes was actually dishonorably discharged from the military for his involvement in a robbery. Again, another thing, he just can't catch a break. After this discharge, he uh, attempts to join a law enforcement agency because, again, like, he just can't stop, can't read a fucking room. <laughs> but he gets rejected because, probably because of that dishonorable discharge, because uh, these departments might put you on the record and communicate with each other. Now, we're in the 70s and 80s, right? The instability just continues because this is Ben Rhodes' life. This is the life he has chosen for himself, okay? So he marries three times, right? He has a son with his first wife. He finds work in stores, supermarkets, warehouses, restaurants, random places, just on the move, constantly, constantly. That CV reads like a poem. <laughs> That's actually what I said about my CV situation now due to coronavirus. It's gonna read like just a series of short poems. <laughs> Please save me. Eventually he ends up being a long-haul trucker. What we know the most about because of his married wife and because luckily this woman is still alive is due to the account of events from Deborah Rhodes, his third wife. So she would say that he involved himself in a BDSM scene already during the time. He would also verbally, physically and sexually abuse her. 
He considered it merely kinky sex. She told the agents, though, that it was far more than kinky. She felt like it was physically painful perversions, but because her self-esteem would plummet, just because this guy could only again be pleased by doing this to her, and it's only then that his wife was so nice, so beautiful, so great, so she just like went along with it. She recalls this event. Again, don't don't surprise me like this or like with anything. This is why I don't condone surprises, okay? I run away from trucks and don't condone surprises. Two messages from this episode. So she just casually, you know, answers the knock on the door and finds a man who is just like a complete stranger to her, claiming he was a sex slave her husband hired for her. Fuck my life. So she just like asked the man to leave. Just imagine, like for a normal person, you're like, this is so embarrassing. Why would you not consult me on this? For Rhodes was like, yeah, tap on the shoulder. I'm such a great husband. Like everybody would want me as a husband. I put it to summarize, trigger, 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 and then discovers BDSM. And then it's just like one fixation that he just continues to explore during his uh, freaking job that is now riding a truck. Just to wrap this whole story up before we discuss the motive, just the the meetup between Deborah and Rhodes was beyond me. When I read this, I was like, this needs to go in here just because it speaks to his character so much. So they meet in early 80s at a Houston bar called Chip Kickers. Again, different time, different times. He was dressed as an airline pilot, but it was only months that were actually found he wasn't one. Just imagine the awkward conversation you have to have. This is how do people lie to this depth? <laughs> one day you sit at the dining table, you're like, so you know how I was telling you I was going to this job for like the past year? Yeah, that wasn't my job. I actually ride a truck and then rape underage girls. So sorry, I didn't mean to say that. I meant to say transport supermarket goods. Yep, yeah, yes. Yeah, sorry, that was a slip up. Yep. So she finds out they have this conversation. Yeah, legit transcript of the conversation that I just said, and she just doesn't dump him. So it just speaks to this guy's psyche and like how cunning and charismatic actually people can be. The FBI actually recalls when he was in an orange jumpsuit, right? They specified this event probably because he wasn't supposed to be like in a bar with them or somewhere. So he actually managed to get a phone number of a waitress while shackled and like in an orange jumpsuit. I love this sentence. This obviously doesn't recommend the waitress's judgment. Sorry, shut the fuck up. But at least some of the credit has to go to Rhodes. Like all of it. Because what is this guy telling these people? That is, again, he's just like, no, 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 this is my Halloween costume. But it's like, it's June, Rhodes. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm prepping for October. Yeah, it, it starts now, okay? Have you heard about this TV show where fake prisoners scream at juveniles and try to convince them not to do crime ever? That's exactly what I'm trying to do, yeah? This is why I'm surrounding by police officers. Come on, you can sell anything. You can sell any fucking story, okay? Don't you go at me like, oh, waitress's judgment. Sexist. Okay, <laughs> calm down. Uh, let's discuss the motive now. There's not much up for discussion here, guys. I put his sexual sadist, and then he found his fixation at some point. So that can be a secondary motive, right? So as Bob Lee said, they actually start off with a limited kit, and then they progress. You know, once, you know, they have the courage, they see that, hey, they're not actually getting caught. So this was uh, Ben Rhodes in a nutshell. And especially what I don't with this guy at any point, because he was in BDSM scene, he could have just opened up a place, you know, he could have found a way to profit out of it. He didn't have to resort to any of this shit. 
that's why I put a fixation as a secondary motive and that it's just actually something really wrong with his psyche, so like as a sexual sadism. You could also see the little patterns, you know, that I pointed out as triggers in his childhood. So obviously the instability in childhood, moving houses, obviously the biggest trigger his father's suicide because of the well technically sexual harassment case he was involved with his own then portrayal of what he imagined his life should be which is just remarrying having different kids while you know lying through his teeth about the jobs that he has so it's like always an underachiever so sad for these people but yeah let me know if you disagree on this okay let's argue on this a bit <laughs> It's not like I covered a month of this and have so much experience knowing and recognizing sexual sadists, yeah? Sources for this podcast have been the Serial Killer podcast, the most amazing voice. I think this guy podcasts from Norway, because I immediately googled it and found his Twitter page. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Norway. His accent and his voice, I was just like, I was listening to it, I was like, damn, this is like, this is my voice doppelganger. Okay, just kidding, it doesn't sound like me, but yeah. I just fell for an accent. Thought catalog. GQ article, the truck stop killer. Read it, read it now. Oh, that's interesting. Murderpedia, Wikipedia, Ranker.com. Boom. That's it. That's the case. That's the plot. Stop the track. Stop recording. I shall not keep you for much longer, mostly because my days um, are pretty much routine. <laughs> And I haven't done much exciting things to be sharing in this section. The only thing, if if you haven't watched the show called Damages, it's been produced like in 2000s, something like that. It's better than Suits and it's better than How to Get Away with Murder, but it's sort of like in between those two. And it's produced the way How to Get Away with Murder is, with like going back and forth months earlier, months later. It's just the best fucking thing. I swear I rewatched this TV show like three times, okay? So I can vouch that it's good. And I just finished it yet again for like five seasons of 10 to 14 episodes it's still the thing so yeah enjoy the sunshine keep yourself away from trucks and from humans in this era as well and then you know go to home and watch damages that was recommended by maya yeah also something that i was pondering about didn't think i was gonna mention here is here but hey for all of the introverts get in touch with me you know tweet me at deadbampod or email me at podbam at gmail.com i mean about the motives and about what this episode is supposed to be about but mostly about dealing with coronavirus not in a sense of what you're doing now but if you're feeling like you're actually really comfortable with how you're dealing with it you're actually like fully thriving on the routine and thriving on what you're doing right now and you are just fearing the moment when this will all end and you need to go out to real life and again meet with people and again not fear to approach a human from two distance (laughs) two meters apart yeah, that's what's in my mind. Every time I leave the house or every time I'm just like, by the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, this is okay. Yeah, it will get worse for sure. But at this time, I'm like, I am really comfortable with this and it's scaring me to shit, okay? For now, pick up some introvert techniques, you extroverts or ambiverts or whoever the fuck you identify as. And stay away from people. There is so much content out there to be consumed, okay? There is so much life not to be lived, <laughs> Learn from a 15-year-old Maya, who had no life, no boyfriend, just her one life for true crime. That she was hiding the way Ben Rhodes was hiding, he was a truck driver. Mine is a bit less embarrassing, right? Mine is kind of like, relatable as hell. <laughs> yeah, this, was, this was supposed to be like, a 50 seconds max. <laughs> Outro, yeah? Just me sharing the socials, being like, hey Patreon, check it out. I have content there, a lot of it. I do extra work, please.
All the links are below. So check all of the content that is online out there in this world and question everything that you see. So uh, that's that for today. So keep making the world a better place. One motive at a time. Bye fuckers!